Welcome back to The Real Money Show. We're glad to have you here. And as always, by my side, Jeremy Wiseman, we are Guildhall Wealth Management. And on this week's show, Jeremy, we have a jam-packed two back-to-back interviews with Danielle DiMartino Booth. Of course, if you've listened to The Real Money Show, you may have heard our last interview with her. She is a friend to Guildhall, and she worked actually in the Federal Reserve for nine years. She's the author of Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America, and she's also getting to give and share and talk all over the country about the current state of the U.S. economy and where she thinks that's all heading. So we're happy to have her aboard. In addition to that, we have Terry Hanlon, president of Dylan Gage, and he's going to be coming on the show. Dylan Gage is a world-renowned supplier of precious metals. We work very closely with them and have for some time. He's going to give us our his opinion and take on the precious metals industry, as well as the importance of depository storage. And we've talked at length about this, Jeremy. Our listeners know that Having good allocated and segregated depository storage for their precious metals is the most important thing that they can do if they're looking to be safe and secure. Now, a lot happening this week, Jeremy. I can't help but think right now we're in a position of complete opportunity as far as gold and silver are concerned. Silver trading in the $16 range. Gold in and around 1257. If you want to buy folks in this particular range where silver is near the cost of production, which is insane for me to be able to say that, but it literally is right at the cost of production. The number is very simple 1 or guildhallwealth.com over to that website. I want you to take advantage of everything we have at that website, all the freebies we can give you, and all of the bonuses that you'll get for buying any particular metal of your choice. And through this show, Jeremy, we're going to be posing some interesting questions to Danielle DiMartino Booth and to Terry Hanlon, and we're going to be talking more about the importance of understanding with Danielle in particular, the difference between the headlines and the reality of where we stand in the market today. We're facing the perfect storm, Jeremy. In my opinion, precious metals have never been offering more value in the entire time since we've opened our doors. In particular, silver is of great interest, as I said just a minute ago, very close to the cost of production per ounce. How do we know that the economy is going to flip? How are we going to see that happen? Well, we're looking at the hiding of data. We're going to talk about that with Danielle. We're looking at the overindulgence of investors in traditional markets, and we're looking at a fixation with real estate and other traditional investments, which in all honesty, has performed very well for people. But let's be honest, if you don't have a hedge and insurance in your wealth portfolio, you're doing yourself a great disservice. We need you to understand the importance of owning precious metals. This week, we've seen some lower pricing in the precious metals. That's not a bad thing. We're, you know, we would be at risk of being called perma bulls, definitely, because we do strongly believe, Darren, that everyone should have some physical bullion in their portfolio. And if you don't know why, listen to interviews that we're that we're giving on the show. Listen to the show a lot more. Contact us. Learn more about having physical gold in your portfolio, because at these current prices, if you've never invested, the opportunities don't get to look much better than this long term. When everything that we're seeing, all the experts that we're speaking to in our interviews and day-to-day, even, for example, we're going to be talking to Terry later on, everyone is very bullish on gold long-term. And you have to buy things when when they're undervalued. You have to be a contrarian investor sometimes. And also, just be rational. Buy things that are, are cheap. That's the idea. If you want to get involved in the market, Guildhall deals in only physical precious metals. So you can go to our website, guildhallpreciousmetals.com. That's our e-store. Or go to guildhallwealth.com and click through to the e-store. And you can acquire as little as one ounce of silver at a time, but you can do silver maples, 10-ounce bars, kilo-size bars, 100-ounce bars. Really easy. Just place your order and you will get physical product delivered straight to your door. You can also hold physical bullion in an RSP account, which I think is a great way to hedge an overall portfolio. And again, all of the product that we deal with at Guildhall, we have a motto. If you can't hold it, you don't own it. So everything is something that you can actually hold in your hand. And we also have a new motto, Darren. You're absolutely right, Jeremy. The motto is simple. Don't wait to buy gold. Buy gold and wait. 
And the same thing can be said of silver or platinum, palladium, any metal you're buying. It's not about being one or two days early. You could be three, four months early. When it does move, it's going to move very quickly. And we don't want you to miss this boat. We want our listeners to be the first to be in these markets and be taking advantage of them as they do grow. Now, without further ado, we're going to introduce Danielle DiMartino Booth. She's worked on Wall Street. She's worked at the Federal Reserve for nine years. She left the Federal Reserve. She became an author, best-selling author. She made, wrote the book called Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. And she's the president and founder of Money Strong. She's also got a very, very new publication called the Daily Feather, and she'll tell you a bit more about that after she's finished speaking with us. And without further ado, we'd like to welcome back to The Real Money Show, Danielle DiMartino Booth. Take it away, Jeremy. Danielle, great to have you here. Good to be here. (laughs) I'd like to start with uh, kind of looking at headlines versus reality. The narrative out there is that everything is fantastic. Real estate's great. Stock market's doing okay. We're 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 not going down. It's 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 hanging in there. Unemployment's low. How accurate or inaccurate is this narrative? Should we really be following it? You know, I'd be very cautious right now. Uh, It it makes me uh, very uncomfortable when there is so much agreement and when so few people are on the other side of arguments and the people who are on, on, on the other side of arguments tend to be derided. And that's a really frightening environment for me um, because it's so reminiscent of not 2006, 2007, um, but it's so reminiscent of 1999. That makes sense. From our perspective, there's definitely a lot of complacency out there with regard to how people are investing their their money at this point. I'd like to talk a little bit about interest rates for a moment. Has the strategy of low interest rates really generated prosperity as the headlines would suggest? Oh, I don't think it benefited prosperity across the nation. I think it benefited a small pocket of individuals on a small 18 by two mile island um, called Manhattan. And I'm not trying to be glib. I just I'm concerned that we see in the background. Uh, if, if you uh, Moody's did an interesting study recently, they adjusted uh, automobile delinquencies for the size of, of the population, and they based it off of jobless claims. And we, we don't have to crawl in there, but they went back to 15 years of data, which is all they had to go back to, and were at the highest level on record. So it, it bothers me that there is still. That, that, that we've seen so much stress build up in the household space, and yet we have to contend with this narrative that Ben Bernanke was a patriot for riding to the rescue of the economy. It, it certainly didn't go across the nation that way. There are still a lot of people uh, who are very uh, ca- cash-rich, house-poor, all these years later. Yeah, and house it, poor house rich. Sorry, <laughs> but he, you know, I you have to give Bernanke credit. I mean, he definitely did what he could to save the financial system at the time. But really, they kicked the can—a massive, massive can down the road. And now, now there is no place to go and get a yield without taking risk. And it, don't you agree that everyone's been forced to take risk? And part of that has been that real estate market, where hey, borrow money—it's cheap. Of course. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to give you a tiny bit of pushback because it's a real pet peeve of mine. You know, Bernanke was the Bernanke was one of the chief architects of the housing bubble to begin with. If you look back at 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006 transcripts. So he was right there, as was Yellen at the San Francisco Fed and Greenspan. Uh, but they were all very much uh, on board with blowing up that housing bubble that, that created the need to come to the rescue of the markets in the first place. We didn't have to have the financial crisis. We didn't have to have emergency crisis measures because we didn't have to have the housing bubble. And so what do you think that was on their part? Was that uh, their relationships and pressure from Wall Street, or was that just not paying, they just weren't paying attention? What was behind their decisions on those actions? You know, I, I, um, there, there was a very famous conversation that occurred in, in Alan Greenspan's office when he was warned about the perils of subprime. This is years before it blew up, and Greenspan apparently said, 
you know, we, we only regulate 25% of mortgage lending in this country. We only need to worry about those we regulate. Meanwhile, countrywide financials out on the West Coast, right in Janet Yellen's backyard, becoming the biggest mortgage lender in the world and eventually turns to fraud. And they turned a blind eye and chose to, to, to philosophically align themselves with the idea, which Greenspan, it, it, this, is a, this, is, this is Greenspan's baby, that you cannot come in before a bubble and do anything about it. You have to wait until the aftermath of the bubble and then come in and clean it up. A very, very reckless way of, of thinking, and, and they believe in this idea of the wealth effect, but the wealth effect was very fleeting for all those people who bought more home than they could afford. Yeah, I, I, I remember reading in your book, I think that was one one of the big takeaways was this idea that Janet Yellen watched it all. She, she, it was in her neck of the woods when she was at the San Francisco Fed, and she didn't really notice the bubble that was, that was coming up. But... Um, so looking at the Fed policies right now, um, they've been inflating a bubble and now they're looking to raise rates, which is that a chance that they could break their own bubble? And how long can they keep raising rates before they have to turn around? I mean, you know, Bernanke was lowering rates from over 6%. You think that they could get back up to 6% again? Oh, heavens no. No, 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 no. I mean, I think that the, the difference between the two-year and the 10-year Treasury yield uh, being at 0.32 percentage points right now, I think that, that the bond market, at least, is communicating that, that the Fed will be lucky to get away with one more rate hike before they invert the yield curve, which will ignite fear in the market. Um, it's not so much that the moment of inversion is, is followed, you know, tomorrow at noon p.m. we go into recession. That's not how it works. But the fear that that moment ignites will propel a sell-off in risky assets. So I, I worry that they can't even get to the December meeting, even though Powell is very adamant that he wants four more rate hikes, that he wants to get to 3% on the overnight lending rate. I don't, I don't see it happening unless there's a massive reversal in what we're seeing in the bond market. So if they're having trouble, if you think they're even going to have trouble getting to December, in, in, in some sense, one, you know, the street would ask, why raise rates at all? Why not keep the punch bowl there? Um, is it just a question of optics? I think a lot of people in, in our industry say, look, they're only raising the rates so that they can lower them again later and look like they're actually doing something. Well, there is, there is optics. And there is the need to have bullets in the chamber. I think had, uh, had Jay Powell had his brothers, that uh, g- given the fact that, that 2012 transcripts, he was already talking about uh, shrinking the balance sheet, exiting extraordinary policy. This is before they even implemented QE3. Um, so Jay Powell has been uh, of the mind for a very long time to have much tighter monetary policy than what was implemented by his predecessor, so I, I, I think he really wants to get to that 3% bogey. Um, and I, I also sense that they're concerned about financial stability and, and that really the stock market has not uh, reacted as we would think it would have at this point uh, to a tightening rate environment. We still have you know, the NASDAQ making uh, record highs. So the animal spirits, so to speak, mm-hmm. have not been extinguished by Fed policy. So in this sense, you're saying the, the Fed rate, they keep raising interest rates, which may, you're saying it will then make it harder to borrow money because the, it's going to be harder to service that debt, and that's what's going to squash the stock markets? That's what they're – I mean, I think that, I think that they definitely – I think Jay Powell definitely wants their – to be some air that comes out of these markets. I mean, any, any way you measure market valuation, they're, you know, they're, they're at record highs. So uh, he's aware of that. This is an individual who founded the industrials group at a major private equity firm, and he speaks to CEOs all the time. He's aware of uh, how overstretched market valuations are. He's more aware than anybody, I think, since probably Paul Volcker, 
All right, let's take a break there for just a minute. Jeremy, when you come back, we're going to ask Danielle about the possibility of a soft landing. Does she think that the feds can cut off quantitative easing and still have a soft landing environment? We'll get her take on that and much, much more. We're also going to talk about gold, how to buy it, how to own it, and why to own it. We'll go into the interview with Terry Handlin from Dilling Gage and a whole lot more coming up on The Real Money Show. You are listening to The Real Money Show. The number to call is one 877 silver or to the website guildhallwealth.com and you're listening on the global news 640 toronto radio network welcome back once again to the real money show with guildhall wealth management the number to call before we get back into the danielle DiMartino booth segment is one eight seven seven eight silver and the website is guildhallwealth.com now jeremy before we left for break you were going to pose the question to danielle about a soft landing is it possible can the feds cut off quantitative easing and still have a soft landing Look, the Fed has never engineered a soft landing um, <laughs> through a tightening campaign. So um, I, I'm going to go with uh, it's not different this time. I'm, I'm just I'm sticking to that. And, again, things that we're seeing come out of the household sector, record high automobile delinquencies, credit card delinquencies are going up, that there's a reason financial stocks are going down. Um, because we're already seeing stress, we know that the housing market has peaked and rolled over. What is the engine of growth going to be that even begins to suggest that we get to June of 2019, which would make it the longest expansion in the history of the country? Because we've already just, we, we are in the second longest expansion right now. So essentially you're saying we are, uh, many others are saying it too, we are headed towards a recession if, and we're getting pretty close. The yield curve is, is showing that in a, in a way. Do you think we're going to see a, another crisis event or just a, a strong recession? It's hard to say. Um, you know, the, the, the European situation is definitely fluid, and it could certainly bleed into um, into United States markets. We're, we're watching Deutsche Bank. I hope somebody at the Fed is watching Deutsche Bank very carefully uh, because we don't know where systemic risk is going to come from. So I don't know if there's going to be another financial crisis. You can never identify the origin of systemic risk uh, before it is triggered. But what we do know is every time the 10-year Treasury yield begins to approach 3%, another country blows up. So you do see how tenuous the situation is um, and the inability of central bankers to normalize because they used low interest rates and debt creation to foster prosperity, which, you know, it doesn't work over the long haul. So where do you see all this going then with all of the debt that's been created, the Fed balance sheet, you think they're going to pay that? You think they're going to get that down? What is, where are we headed with this? I mean, 20, 21 trillion in debt in the U.S., four and a half trillion on, on the Fed's balance sheets. Are, are they going to be able to somehow get out of that situation or are they going to just go into more debt? I think that the game plan right now would, would be to hope to reduce the size of the balance sheet by a trillion dollars. You know, I don't know that they'll get there. I just don't. Um, you know, you've got the, the head of the Central Bank of India writing a very, uh, very public opinion piece in the Financial Times saying, we cannot handle quantitative tightening. Do you hear me, Jay Powell? Um, and you've got Argentina and Brazil. And, with, you know, we recently saw the Thai bot. So uh, the potential to set off contagion via quantitative tightening is becoming very, very real. And that leads one to question whether or not they'll even be able to pull off a trillion dollars of quantitative tightening. We're barely $150 billion and look what's happened. Right. So then we go the other Again, way. This was the biggest monetary, this was the biggest monetary policy experiment in the history of mankind and if you talk to people inside the central bank offline, off the record, they will tell you they didn't know what was going to happen going in, and they have no idea what's going to happen coming out. Yeah, we had Nomi Prinz on last week, and we were discussing the fact that there is no plan B. And so, you know, what? How, do the, how does the everyday person who's following the regular narrative, what are they supposed to do? Do they just keep following along with what the mainstream media says and just keep doing the real estate and the, the stocks and cross their fingers and hope that the central banks can figure it all out? I guess if they're young enough to have that kind of a position, that's fine. 
if they can't afford to work for 20 more years, they might want to wake, wake up, smell the coffee, and go to the mattresses. <laughs> go to the mattresses. In other words, get, uh, get some of your uh, wealth outside of the banking system. Well, not necessarily outside of the banking system, but outside the markets. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, buying into real estate at these nosebleed valuations is just, uh, you'd have to be nuts. I have a friend who just bought a 3,400 square feet, $2.7 million townhouse in Los Angeles. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. Same thing Same thing on the stocks, right? I mean, valuations are, are sky high, and you wonder... How how are you supposed to how are you supposed to continue with that? Well, that's the thing. People need to look at the stock market as they would look at a piece of real estate, as they would look at a potential property to purchase. How are they ever going to make a return if they're buying in at such a high price? And they, if, if they look at it more rationally, as they because consumers understand real estate prices, it's something that they understand in their bones. If they take a rational approach like that, they're like, I'd be better off getting almost 2% on a monthly piece of paper and keeping my powder dry. Yeah, I agree definitely with keeping keeping some liquidity available at this point. Of course. Darren actually had a, a question over here as well. I'm wondering to what extent, and of course, recognizing we have a natural bias in what we do towards, that leans towards holding a portion of physical uh, metals in the form of maybe gold or silver in one's portfolio. Uh, so we certainly acknowledge that bias as our listeners are, are tuned into this show. But to what extent might an asset like that help or play a role, even to a small portion of a person's portfolio, in your opinion? Well, the beauty of, and I'm no gold bug. I just, it's sure, not a, sure. It's not, a, it's, it's, not a, it's not a viable, it's not a, I, I don't buy in anything that can't be put into practice. I just, I'm like, move on next. However, what we do know from the past two major cycle downturns is that correlations, the, the co-movement among asset classes becomes almost perfectly one. In other words, there's no place to hide dot, 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 except for precious metals. And it is a fallacy. Uh, it, it, may, it, it makes my blood boil. Gold is not someplace to hedge your portfolio during inflationary times because it's, it's outperformed just as beautifully in deflationary times. Gold is not a hedge for one or another environment. It's a hedge period. Right. Again, we, we, we tend to talk of it more as a hedge uh, or something to have even in a small part within a portfolio. And I'm curious, as we're talking about what's going to happen at the end of the year before we, we conclude today, do you foresee some major um, changes economically within this particular fiscal year? Are we going to see a very a bumpier third and fourth quarter, in your opinion? I mean, things have been great. Headline news has is, is, is been out there touting wonderful things about the economy. Again, we're reading behind the lines. Do we start to get some mainstream uncertainty uh, in the marketplace in the third and fourth quarter this year? Well, we've certainly seen in the consumer, you know, it's the funny thing is to answer your question, I'm following data sets I've never followed before to try and, 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 and look into my crystal ball. Consumer confidence never moves the market, but I'm following like a hawk uh, people's expectations for income growth. And that had been going through the roof in the post-election environment, and that has finally turned and come down. Another data set I'm following that is, is beyond obscure is Challenger, Gray, and, uh, and Christmas, they have layoff data that comes out the Thursday morning before every Friday, non-farm payroll Friday, uh, jobs report. They also have a hiring uh, index that, that they track. They track companies' hiring announcements. You would think, reading the headlines, that companies are hiring like gangbusters. That's not the case. They can't source skilled labor. But as of last month, the, the, the hiring announcements had decreased to 200,000 so far in 2018 from a run rate at the same time in 2017 of 400,000. That tells me that the underlying demand for employees after we get past the trucker shortage and the welder shortage and the construction worker shortage, because there's only so many of these people to go around, that the underlying demand for employees is not what it needs to be to sustain an economic expansion. And I worry that we're going to start to see this in the third and fourth quarter, and that households have begun to communicate it to us via 
higher defaults, higher credit card delinquencies, higher automobile delinquencies, and answering questions about their income growth in the future in a negative way. I mean, to me, it seems pretty clear, and the uh, writing is on the on the board, but again, hearing it from somebody that's in that particular market that watches it as closely as you do may reaffirm for our listeners how important it is to make sure you are double-checking, you are doing your due diligence. Danielle, it was a pleasure to be able to speak with you today. How do our listeners get in touch with you and follow what you're doing and uh, get all of the material that you're putting out into the uh, public sphere? Well, you know, I have recently launched a, uh, a company. It's, I'm just coming up on the one-month anniversary. We have a publication called The Daily Feather. It is $25 a month. I, this is my first retail product ever. I've always uh, catered to institutional investors, but this is my first retail product ever. I'm not selling anything. I don't have any bias, and it is the best. I, I had a trader walk up to me on the floor of the New York, New York Stock Exchange a few days ago and say, hey, you're that feather woman. Yes, I am. And it's all about financial literacy and everything I've talked about, I talk about on a daily basis. So go to quillintelligence.com. That's quillintelligence.com and sign up for the newsletter. It's the cheapest money that you will ever spend. It's it's the best return on investment you'll ever get. And I am not a used car sales person, I promise. Well, we certainly will encourage our listeners to do just that. We'll have this up on our podcast as well as on the Real Money Show website, and they'll hear it live on Saturday and Sunday of this weekend. So we want to thank you for being part of the Real Money Show yet again. Danielle, hopefully it's not too long before we speak again, and uh, we hope and wish you all the best in the uh, rest of the year. We look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks very much. Likewise. Take care. All right, that was a great interview. Danielle DiMartino Booth, for those of you listening, was and still is talking about a lot of things that are very pertinent to the Federal Reserve in the U.S., a lot about the U.S. marketplace and her take on gold. She believes it's a hedge no matter what the situation is, inflation, deflation, no matter where you are in the economy, it's a good time to hold some gold in your portfolio. And it's important to do it physically as well. So uh, as we go into the next interview, Darren, I think we just want to keep it important for the listeners that holding physical precious metals is very easy. You can go to guildhallwealth.com, just click on the top right-hand corner, go to our e-store. You can acquire the product very easily. We've got competitive prices fast delivery, everything's fully insured when you're when we're doing the shipping, and you can select your products very easily. We've got lots of different payment methods, and you can get some physical precious metals in your hand. And you can just go to guildhallwealth.com. And then we also have the physical precious metals for registered accounts, that's RSPs, TFSAs, Liras, RIFs, and RESPs as well. And then for anyone who just wants to hold the product and store it physically, we do have the depository accounts where clients get access to their product, um, no obligation, fully insured, allocated, segregated product. We're the experts in this market. Contact us again at guildhallwealth.com. All right, when we come back, the interview with Terry Hanlon and uh, much, much more. We're going to tell you about uh, the RSP accounts. We're going to talk about allocated financing. You are listening to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Today on The Real Money Show, we have the pleasure of speaking with Terry Hanlon, President and CEO, Head of Operations at Dilling Gage, Precious Metals Operations out of Texas in the U.S., Terry has been working very closely with the world's major mints and is a frequently called upon guest by gold and silver councils the world over for market and product evaluations. He is regarded as one of the world's leading experts on matters involving precious metals and gold coins and is frequently quoted by trade and financial publications around the world. Dylan Gage maintains inventories in over 20 countries worldwide and they have partnerships with all the major mints globally. We want to welcome to the show, Terry Hanlon. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Real Money Show. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. You know, one of, one of the things I, I enjoy about our conversations that we have when you come to Toronto is your realism towards the market, a sense that gold will always just be there. And I guess that comes from part of your 35 years experience in the market that I find that you rise above the day-to-day gyrations of the market. But Dylan Gage maintains inventories uh, across 20 countries worldwide, partnerships with major mints. How do you see the role of precious metals in portfolios and if that, if that trend has been changing over time? 
Well, I, I think the realization of um, the role that precious metals plays was embedded in the, the older generation, those who were over 60. They understood it because they endured um, the fluctuation in currencies through wars and, and those issues. And then as life changed and, and generations grew older, um, you know, somewhere in between the, the millennials and um, those at the over 60 range, it didn't really get the understanding of metals so much because the economy was great everywhere and everybody got it. But on an international basis, mostly I would say focused in Asia since I spent quite a bit of time there, you deal with economies that have always understood what the role of precious metals um, represents, and that is uh, an alternative to currencies. So it's the insurance policy, which is what it always has been, what it should always be in everybody's mind. Um, something that I tell people um, probably more than anything else is that you have to realize that gold is not a price. Gold is a value. So regardless of what the price is for gold, whether it's $300 or $1,300, it still accomplishes the same thing. The buying power is always the same because that price is derived on the basis of where the economy is. A great economy, gold goes down in price, but it still has the same buying power. The economy gets bad, gold goes up, it still has the same value, whether it was 300 or 13 to buy the same thing. So I try to get that point across to, um, to dealers with whom we deal on, uh, in, in North America, and uh, I think Europeans certainly understand it well because they've dealt with so many currency issues, and of course the Asians understand it because of massive currency fluctuations. And then again, um, South and Central Americans uh, understand it very well. And, and ironically, most of the South and Central American countries um, prefer to make precious metals unattainable to their um, citizens because they know that when the currencies get bad, that they, they can control their population better unless those people own precious metals and then they've bought into freedom there. So it, it plays an interesting role. I think that more people are starting to understand that because of the Internet. I think people read more. Uh, they get current information immediately, more so than ever. And so I start to see that um, people are participating in precious metals more today than they were 10 years ago. And a good example of that um, is reflected in the retirement accounts. So the um, retirement accounts have grown uh, tremendously. I would say in one single area of uh, the quickest growth, it's that. And so the, the whole procedure for um, owning precious metals and putting that in your retirement account through Guildhall and the relationship that we at Dillingage have to provide that um, digital service to you to make that simple to your customer um, has really shown uh, tremendous growth, as you've seen in the last two years. And I think part of that as well, because you're, you're totally right, there, it's been tremendous growth. We've seen people wanting to protect their portfolio for their retirement. I think they also see an opportunity in the market. Um, but I think part of that is this demand for actual physical product within the RSPs in Canada, the IRA in, in the U.S., which they've done for quite some time, which I think is part of the reason we were able to, with with Dylan Gage partnership, to be able to replicate that here in Canada for for Canadians. Part of the reason that we're seeing this trend is is towards physical, and 
I was wondering if you can talk about that a little bit from your perspective. Again, you're dealing in the physical market. You're not dealing in certificates and whatnot. Why do you think there's a trend towards the physical? Is it similar to what you were saying about Central America and there's an independence there? Yeah, I mean, look, people people see and hear all the things that happen, good and bad, but it mostly news is news is built to be bad as it's delivered. It's more impact and, it, and the stations get more attention. So the focus at the end um, is how does that affect me? And so people have seen that um, the manipulation and control of their money by governments, um, I don't know that it's changed much. It's just become more obvious, more more available information-wise, and so they become concerned about it. So the the whole emphasis on physical is liquidity. Um, recently, in the last last two years, as the stock market goes up and people sell their precious metals because they want to jump on the bandwagon and make money on the stock market, and the same thing happens when the stock market starts to drop, and I'm talking about fund and fund managers followed by uh, investors. They all want to go back and forth and jump on the wagon that's making money, so liquidity has proven to be much better, much quicker, I don't know about safer, but in most cases safer than um, paper products, uh, in, including exchange-traded funds, the ETFs. You can liquidate those, but you can't liquidate those in the increments that you can on physical metal. So owning the physical metal gives you a lot of control in terms of size of liquidity, uh, immediate availability to product, and liquidity is always there on the physical side. There's always a demand for physical side, uh, for physical metal, and there are enough locations to be able to sell that quicker. So um, people are just more aware that, that all of those benefits exist with the ownership of physical metal. Okay, perfect opportunity to take a break for just a minute. We've been talking with Terry Hanlon about the importance of having physical precious metals in your portfolio, and the benefits of using storage, depository storage that's allocated, segregated, and in your name. We're going to come back from break, and we're going to do a little more of that with Terry, a little more uh, a line of questioning regarding where he thinks precious metals are right now and what's happening in the markets. And if you're looking to get into the market, folks, the number to call is one eight seven seven eight silver or guildhallwealth.com. Remember, our physical precious metals comes in many forms in terms of bars and coins and offers you the opportunity to be in your registered accounts, to take it home with you, to put it in the depository accounts we've been talking about. And when this interview is over, we're going to touch base a little on allocated financing. We'll show you how to get silver into your portfolio right now for as little as about $7.50 an ounce. That and much, much more coming back on The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Okay, folks, welcome back to The Real Money Show. We're in the process of interviewing Terry Hanlon. He's online with us right now, president of Dillon Gage, world-renowned wholesaler of bullion products and uh, works very closely with Guildhall. We love having Terry Hanlon on and we're very grateful that he could take the time out to be with us today. Let's get right back into that interview. And before we do, the number to call is one eight seven seven eight silver That'll get you started if you want to buy or find out more about gold and silver or over to the website guildhallwealth.com and as always remember these broadcasts can be caught and replayed on by pod uh, they can be replayed through our website or you can go to the realmoneyshow.com and find them there as well either way we'd love for you to have a listen and uh, we thank you for being with us today let's get back to that interview now what are some of the pitfalls in your mind that people people fall into when they're looking at at acquiring precious metals and and different types of storage that are out there? Because there's obviously a lot more different, there's more variety of storage than you would think. Yeah, I think people have to ask a few simple questions when it comes to storage. So there are certainly internet and um, internet dealers who are providing the metal, selling the metal, and offering storage within their location. Um, So 
most of those people are not built to be in the storage business. Um, our facility, for instance, in Toronto, uh, is utilized by everyone from uh, from banks to to sovereign mints to private individuals. It's easy enough to ask the question: What are your credentials? Um, does the government endorse storage with you? So people have to ask a few simple questions. And quite honestly, the use of, of Internet um, is probably the simplest way to get to the bottom of finding, finding out about the history of where you're storing metal. So you want to know that you're storing in a location that is um, insured properly. It's structured that for um, safety and control and security and that it is utilized and recognized by multiple dealers and government organizations. All of that is pretty easy to find out. Uh, and then uh, ease of access of your product. One of the great things about putting product into a depository is that you don't want to expose yourself with leaving too much at home. I mean, you don't, you don't uh, have stacks of cash stuffed in drawers at home, and, and the same thing applies to precious metals. I don't think that um, keeping some is a bad idea, but storage in a vault uh, is very cheap. It's, uh, the cost of that, which includes insurance, is, makes it trouble-free. Uh, the security is there, so you don't have to worry. I mean, honestly, if the building um, burnt to the ground, the interesting thing about precious metals is that it only melts. It's still valuable. <laughs> um, uh, you know, that isn't what happens, but the reality is it doesn't burn up, and then you have to figure out how to replace it. It's, it's there. Um, it can be bought and sold within the depository, it can be transferred to another account. So if someone is storing at IDS in Toronto, for instance, and they want to sell it, they could sell it to you and it could be transferred to your account and it doesn't even have to leave the building and it, it can be liquidated. You can get confirmation of it, you can pay them for the metal and the whole transaction takes place in minutes. Um, so there are just too many good reasons to store in a location like IDS um, that has the credentials and provides the convenience and the safety all in one package. And, you know, it's interesting from our perspective and doing our own research, you know, researching competitors, whatnot, we find that actually acquiring physical bullion and storing physical bullion, there's not a big difference in cost between paper versions. Um, once you add well, in different know, as exchange. A fact, with, if you do exchange-traded fund, um, you'll find that it's cheaper to buy the physical metal and store it yourself than it is to buy into an ETF uh, because now you're paying brokers um, a, a continuing fee and you're paying for the storage and then you can only liquidate in very large numbers, so you can't liquidate in smaller increments. And at the end, the price is cheaper. Most don't believe that going into it until they do a little homework, and then they find out that it is. And so in, in terms of uh, your work within the industry, your contacts and relationships, can you tell us a little bit about the feeling of the of the general sector? Uh, is it positive? Is it negative? Are people excited? Are they depressed? What's what's the general feeling in in the in the precious metal sector right now? Well, um, the growth the growth in the industry is really based upon a couple of things: uh, people's awareness that we talked about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. um, the, the whole purpose of precious metals is not for your entire portfolio to be in precious metals. No one who's realistic in our business would ever endorse that. It has to be a portion of your portfolio. So there are so many people who are just now 
understanding that and, and, and being exposed to that, that we see a growth in the business. Um, the, the, the metals market is very active. It, it fluctuates all day long. But again, the important thing for people to learn, which is apparently happening when we see the growth of the business, is that it is a value, not a price. Buying into price is a speculation. If you want to speculate, then you can do that, like any other commodity. But the real reason, in my mind, to buy it is for the insurance policy, which more people, as witnessed by the increase in business in the retirement side of it, which makes it very easy to monitor when we see the growth there. People are starting to understand that a lot more. So they're not they're not replacing all of their uh, portfolio with metals. They're, they're just adding metal into their portfolio and getting out of some other assets. Um, so a portion therein uh, is in metals. Do I think uh, there's um, a positive view on what's happening in metals? Worldwide, absolutely. Um, in Europe, for instance, um, the skepticism about the euro um, and uh, certain countries that are always on on the brink uh, of uh, bankruptcy have caused tremendous amount of uh, buying of precious metals. Uh, in Asia, just the ability for the Asian individual, the in individual investors, to finally own precious metals um, in bar or coin form, China specifically, um, has grown uh, hugely. And it's just because they've always wanted to. Um, they do in their own way. Now it becomes legal, and so the increase in ownership there has grown tremendously. So the business continues to grow. Do you, do you, do you think... Do you think that we could see a point where uh, the market is moving so rapidly that there's because we've seen some some supply constrictions in the past? Do you think we could be in a situation where people want to get into the market but they just can't actually acquire the physical because there's just not enough around? Yeah, it happens very quickly. Um, two and a half years ago. Um, that exact situation occurred. You know, we we are authorized distributors for all the world mints. So the Royal Canadian Mint, the U.S. Mint, the Perth Mint in Australia, um, the Australian or the Austrian Mint, um, the Gold Coins of China, the Panda that Mint. Every one of them ran short of both silver and gold, and Actually, there's, the shortages occur more frequently in platinum because there's less platinum um, that is minted, and therefore they run short. So there were shortages by all of those mints uh, just a couple years ago. It's, that part is cyclical. The demand for physical happens. Uh, sometimes that starts from the industrial demand. So when you see growing economies and growing demand for uh, silver, for instance, because there are not only continued uses of silver in manufacturing, there, there are new applications that come. And then you've got uh, like countries like China where the demand has grown so enormously that suddenly there's a shortage of uh, industrial, uh, or there's a great demand and industrial need, and the, there's a lack of silver coming out of mines uh, to meet the demand on the industrial side. And as soon as that starts happening, then investor products become short because acquiring silver becomes more expensive for the mints. Carrying inventory when the market moves up is more expensive, and everybody's very cautious. Uh, on the manufacturing side about maintaining. So, yeah, it, it, that happens, Jeremy. It happens 
you know, I've been doing this for over 35 years. Um, I, I've seen it happen every couple of years. It's, it's sporadic. You don't know when it's going to come. So buying in a, in a market where um, you have the funds to put money into it when things aren't running wild is the time to do it. And one other thing that makes a big difference um, when investing in precious metals in a hot versus a cold market or a, a neutral market, the premiums are lower in a slower market. When the market gets hot and shortages come, premiums run up. So you end up paying more uh, on a premium basis uh, in a hot market because of the lack of access to uh, the right amount of inventory. And in this case, gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Absolutely. So that, it's a good time to buy now. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. We've noticed that ourselves, especially on gold over, over the last uh, couple of years, that the premiums are definitely lower. It's a good time to get in. But you know what, Terry? I know that I could sit here asking you questions all day. Um, and uh, we, we are, are so grateful that you took a little bit of time um, from your day to speak with us at The Real Money Show. And uh, we look forward to having you back on. And, and I think we'll be able to get into some more details about uh, storage and uh, see what's going on around the globe with the other mints and, and learn more about your relationships. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. I enjoyed it. Thanks for the invitation. It's great doing business with you. And uh, thanks for letting me speak to your audience. It was a pleasure, and I look forward to doing that again. We look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks. Okay. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, we want to thank Terry Hanlon, President and Chief Operating Officer of Dillon Gage, for coming and speaking to us today. Dillon Gage maintains inventories in over 20 countries worldwide. They have partnerships with all major mints globally. And we'll remind everyone, if you'd like to listen to this anytime, you can go over to guildhallwealth.com, click on The Real Money Show, and there it will be for you to share, hopefully with everyone that you know. And once again, a big thank you to Terry Hanlon. All right. We promised we'd talk about how to get silver for $7.50 an ounce. Jeremy, tell us, how does this allocated financing work? Yeah. So basically the way it works is it's fully allocated, segregated product, but instead of outlaying the full amount, which would be about 23000 Canadian dollars right now, you'd only put up the down payment, which would be essentially $10,000 Canadian at this point. And what that means, Darren, is that you're holding back $12,000, number one. That's less, less risk. Number two, it means that you can take that 12000 and do something else with it if you want. The other thing it means is because you're only outlaying $10,000, you're not looking for a $22 move in silver to double your money. You're only looking for a $10 move in silver to double your money. You want to be doing this at a low price, a low risk entry point. That's what we see today. We have a video about the collateralized allocated financing on our YouTube channel where we've got all these interviews that you can uh, go to as well. So you can learn a little bit more about it there. That and much, much more by calling one eight seven seven eight silver going over to the website guildhallwealth.com. And as Jeremy said, lots of opportunity for you to see and hear what we think about the markets and find out about our accounts and how to get gold and silver into your portfolio today. Folks, it's a must. You have to consider this. Do your due diligence. And we want to thank you for listening to The Real Money Show today. We hope to be back next week with you at the same time. And you have been listening to The Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.